You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. She probably remembered being just a little girl in a Jewish town, seeing the important men of the city walk by on the dusty streets. Men like Simon, the man into whose home she had just walked uninvited. Maybe people whispered as she was growing up, as she sort of learned the ladder of society, as men like Simon had walked by, and they say things like, hey, that's Simon. He's a Pharisee. See how he wears his clothes so special? And, and you can tell that he, that he thinks that he's very important, very special. He does all the things in our law, or at least he says he does. He keeps all the rules, and he only hangs out with and spends time with the highest kinds of people. But as she grew up, this young woman, she heard a different kind of whispering. Like Simon the Pharisee, she had become very well-known. In fact, even Simon the Pharisee had come to know who she was, but she had become well-known for something different entirely. This woman had made a name for herself on another side of things, where men like Simon and these Pharisees and these leaders had lifted themselves up based on how much of the law they knew and how much they followed the law and how they kept it and how they were not sinners. This woman was known specifically for being a sinner. She was known as a sinner. She may have been selling her body to men for money. She may have just been promiscuous. We don't know exactly what the sins are that she was committing, but whatever they were, they were enough for her to have a serious reputation for being a sinner. This is not what she had planned to be, most likely. Growing up as a little girl in this Jewish culture, she didn't want to be known for what she was now known for. I mean, they already had one strike against them, these Galileans, right? They, they lived in a place, they had kind of a, a different accent. So even among the Jewish people, those who lived in Judea and in Jerusalem already sort of made fun of them, said they were uneducated, right? Sort of backwards. So she already has that on top of that, on top of being from a Galilean town, she's got all the sin that she's committed on top of her so that the whispers and the gossip follow her wherever she goes, And the sins that she has aren't the kind that stay hidden like so many of the sins of other people. These were out there. And so the whispers continued and always happened. People looked down on her. People rejected her. But here she was on this day with just a seed of hope that something might change. She's about to do something unthinkable. But let's leave her there for a second and look at another man. He was a Jew also, and he had become very wealthy in the city of Jericho. He was a rich man. The problem was that he was hated by all of his people. He was despised. He was rejected. In their minds, in the minds of his brothers and sisters, his Jewish friends and family, he was a betrayer. He had betrayed them. See, he was collecting taxes for the Roman government. 
And I just want you to imagine that someone comes in to Camus, and it's Red Dawn, right? They come in, the Russians, whoever, uh, you know, they attack. I don't remember who was in the movie. I think it was the Russians. But they come in, they take over. Now imagine those who lived here deciding that because they wanted to make some money, they would collect taxes from, from their own people, from us, for this conquering force. That's what Zacchaeus had done. That's what this man had done. He was, he was a tax collector. He had betrayed his people. And not only did he do that, but these guys were also known not just for collecting the normal amount of tax, but for being extortioners, for taking more than was owed. And if you didn't want to pay him, he'd go tell on you to the Roman army, and they'd come and make you pay him. And so here he is getting rich by serving the invader and stealing from his own people. You might be able to guess what kind of a reputation he had. This is what he was. He was held in the same esteem as the woman we were just talking about, which is to say, no esteem. No esteem. He was rich. He had lots of money. But he was shunned and he was disliked. And on top of that, he was very short, which had its own set of social issues, I'm sure. But like this woman... He was daring to hope just a little bit today. He had heard that someone different was coming to town. Now we'll come back to these two. I want to kind of get into some stuff. You know this, this uh, series is on who is Jesus. And we got to figure out who is Jesus. And part of the way we figure out who is Jesus by, is by figuring out why he came. Why did he come? What was he here for? I remember junior high and high school somewhat. It was a long time ago. But I remember the whispering and the gossip. It was very easy for people to get a bad reputation. It was very hard for them to earn a good one back. For those of you who homeschool, I know we have some of those in the church. You, I'm not sure how that works out for you. I know some of you know the Agers. They have like, I don't know, like 120 kids or something like that. I don't know if they have pep rallies. I don't know if there are cliques. I don't know what's going on, but probably a little bit different. If they do have pep rallies, I definitely want to go to one. But for those of you who went to public school or went to a large school, you can relate. Everything is stratified into these groups sort of related to coolness, right? If you have the right clothes and say the right things and date the right person and play the right sport, you might be in the cool crowd. And if you don't do all of those things or some of those things, you might not. And it, and it didn't end there in life. Some of the intensity of social awkwardness may have gone away at the end of high school, but it was really just traded for something else. We start into adulthood sort of trying to make our way, and we're constantly navigating the pressure of relationships. And we, we often fall into it without even realizing it. We don't realize how tense we are. For instance, if I told you, Everybody in this room, completely relax. Just relax. Whatever you're thinking about, just relax completely. Whatever you do, don't think about any other person in this room. The fact is, is that you might be able to do that, but for most people, I think that they can't. They can't completely forget about the other people because they feel like people are looking at them, like they're judging them based on a hundred different things. Not just, are you a very bad person? Are they a good person? But do they look the right way? Are you wearing the right clothes? Are you acting the right way? Whatever it is, we sort of uh, walk around concerned about what other people think about us and trying to measure up to some kind of standard. 
We look for the approval of other people. If you don't believe me, go look at your Facebook feed. See how many people are putting their crap out there versus putting the best of them out there. They want to look good for people. Some of us need the approval of others to feel good about ourselves. Some of us spend so much time worrying about what others think about us that we do not concern ourselves enough about what God thinks. But the woman and the man in our stories, my guess is they were past all of that. In some ways, maybe more mature because they actually weren't spending their time worrying about what other people thought about them. They knew what people thought. There was no question about what people thought. And they knew that there was little that they could do about it now. For both of them, they were outcasts. They were outcasts. They were outsiders. They were sinners. The worst of sinners. That was the label that they carried around everywhere they went, everywhere they walked throughout their day. Think about everything you do. You go to the store you go, you go run errands, you do whatever, and all the people that you walk by, they all know who you are, and none of them think it's a good thing. And every stare and every sneer all day long, they felt the sneers, they felt the rejection, they felt like trash. And so they weren't worried about what other people thought about them. That ship had sailed. But in this day for each of them, their lives were going to be different. This woman... With her bad reputation, she had heard of Jesus. And she had probably heard that he had said a couple things lately, actually, right before in Scripture where we hear the history of this woman that we're talking about. Jesus said something interesting. He said this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by her children. Who is Jesus, she's thinking. Who is this man that's willing to be friends with tax collectors and sinners? Is this possible? Because everyone's saying that he's a prophet. He's clearly sent by God. We can see that. He's showing the power of God. He's healing the blind. He's healing the lame and the lepers, right? He's he's caring about and teaching the poor and women. And he seems to care about them. But important men of God didn't act like that in her experience. That's not what they acted like. They weren't hanging out with the poor and with the tax collectors and with the sinners and with the drunks. That's not what they were doing. They weren't into these people, the people who were broken. They were into the people who could do something for them, who could make them feel powerful. They were into being around people where they could sit together and look down on all these other people. So a religious person, a a man of God to her, was not someone who would ever have been called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That would never be the case. But Jesus, he tells us a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector. If you want to get an idea for what some of the Pharisees might have been like, this is in Luke 18, 9 through 12. It says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. 
This Pharisee is sitting here comparing his life to the lives of others. And not only that, this guy is such a butthead. He's praying out loud, right? That he's like, that guy standing over there, he sucks. And I'm legit. That's what's going on in this, in this moment. You got to imagine, that's how just incredibly blind these Pharisees were to their own problems. That they were willing to pray like that, comparing themselves. I'm better, I'm cleaner, I'm more special. And that's what this woman would have expected from the men who were religious leaders. But maybe, maybe she thought this. Maybe she thought, after hearing this thing, these things that Jesus had done, and said, so maybe she thought, this Jesus is not like the important men of the city, right? He's different. Maybe he could heal me from my sin. While all of these others look down on me, they know my reputation, maybe Jesus will be different. Maybe God, maybe there's hope that God does love me. Now, Jesus had been invited into the home of a guy named Simon, a Pharisee, there in the town, to eat dinner. And the way it worked during these feasts, it's interesting, these homes, they would have had this feast, and the home actually would have possibly been opened so that people who were uninvited could actually go through, kind of go through the courtyard of the guest chamber and, and sort of watch these people eat. I don't know if it was kind of like podcast first century. You know, you're hearing the sort of the people having these, you know, Jesus and these Pharisees having these conversations, that type of thing. But they could sit there, they could go, and they could see, actually walk into the house. And it was a normal thing that uninvited guests could walk into the house and sort of watch what they're doing. And so, this woman, who I promise you, Simon had not invited, this is what she does. She plucks up her courage, and she goes, and I want you to imagine what that would be like. I already told you who she was. I already told you what people said about her. She probably doesn't usually want to put her face up. And yet she's heard that the, possibly the Messiah, this prophet, this man of God is in here. And this Pharisee who's from this town and all these people who are from this town who know exactly who she is, who know exactly what she's done, everything about it. She's got to pluck up the courage to walk into this house and walk over to this place. I, I mean, I can't imagine the sweat and the anxiety as she hopes against hope that Jesus really is going to be different. And Jesus would have been reclining at the table. So they kind of, they kind of lean on their left elbow, and they sit, and, they, and their feet are back behind them. You remember in the Last Supper, it talks about John kind of leaning into Jesus' bosom. That's because that's the way they sat. One guy's like this, the next guy's like this. So if you wanted to say something kind of secret, you'd sort of lean over to where their chest was and say something. That's how they were sitting. At these feasts, they would recline at the table, and that's what Jesus was doing. And behind him were his unwashed feet. And this is what Luke says as he, as the Holy Spirit through him brings us the narrative. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with a fragrant oil. She gets in the company of Jesus. And something about him, something about the things he said, she just starts crying. I mean, imagine the release. I told you, she's probably incredibly anxious and scared and sweaty. And she walks in here and she gets to Jesus 
No one has tackled her, thrown her out of the room, anything like this. She gets to Jesus, and she just starts crying. And, and the tears uh, uh, that are coming out of her eyes, she starts to wash Jesus' feet, and she's putting this fragrant oil, and she's taking her hair, and she's drying his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And he does not immediately stop her. This sinner, this reject, this outcast, this person who's been told that she is trash, is in the home of this prominent man and washing the feet of Jesus, and he does not immediately kick her out. But let's go back to our tax collector in Jericho. He also hears Jesus is coming to town, and he wants to see Jesus. Maybe he's heard about the way that Jesus treats tax collectors, sinners, and outcasts like himself. I mean, what does he have to lose? This guy is despised. Despised. So, either way, he was going to go see Jesus. This is what the narrative says. Holy Spirit through Luke again, 19, 1 through 6. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. What? This reject, this outcast, all he wants to do is just get a glimpse of this guy he's heard about. His, his humility, he's got to climb a tree. You know those dresses they were wearing? That couldn't have been easy, right? You're trying to get up on it. I mean, I, I wouldn't try to climb a tree, period, at this point. But he's climbing a tree because he doesn't, he's throwing all of his pride and his arrogance and whatever, he's throwing that away. Remember, he probably doesn't have it because everybody thinks that he's ridiculous. So he thinks of himself as worthless, but he just wants to at least get a look at Jesus. And so as he humbles himself enough to climb up a tree just so he can see him, and Jesus walks by, and bam, eye contact. He looks right at him. And I'm sure for Zacchaeus, the world stops. And, I, and I'm wondering if he, when he sees the eyes, if he immediately knew it was going to be good, or if he wondered if it might be just the opposite. These prophets were, after all, known to sort of bring down judgment, right? And certainly if anyone deserved judgment, it was this guy who everyone considered a traitor. But that's not what Jesus says. The next thing he does is he says, Zacchaeus. He knows his name. I can't imagine what that's going to feel like for those of us who know Christ the first time we hear his voice say our name. But Zacchaeus hears it here, and he says, get down here. I'm going to your house. I'm going to go to your house today. This tax collector, this man who they treated as a traitor. I mean, the religious leaders in Jericho, probably I don't know that they would walk by Zacchaeus' house, but they sure wouldn't dare to go in. They would have considered him unclean. But Jesus did. This wasn't the end of either of these stories, by the way, because there were other people there besides just Jesus and this person. Jesus and the woman or Jesus and this tax collector, Zacchaeus. There were other people. So let's see how the Pharisee reacts to this woman in our first story. Luke 7, 39 through 50. 
Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw this woman coming and washing his feet with her tears, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. What's the assumption that this Pharisee is making? Listen, if you're a prophet, A, first thing, you're going to know who this is. You will know because you're a prophet because God would tell you. Second, you'd know what kind of a woman this is. Filthy, dirty, sinner. And the assumption that he has is that if, if Jesus is a prophet, that he wouldn't let this woman touch him, that he wouldn't be near her because he had become so wrapped up in this ladder system that these guys had come up with, with the best seats at the tables, with the only people that were good, or the people who kept the law, quote-unquote, and this sinner is trash to him. And so the idea that a prophet, a man of God, would let this sinner come and touch him, he doesn't believe it. He says, Jesus must not be a prophet. That's the logic. Because if he was a prophet, he wouldn't do this. Well, Jesus, of course, knows, as he always does, our hearts and the things we're thinking, and so he has a conversation. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Uh-oh. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Can you imagine the weight that lifted off of this woman when Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, looks at her and says, your sins are forgiven. When he looks at her and says, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Because these debtors that he's talking about, this, this is us, right? Not only do we have a debt from the sin that we've, that we've done, but we, like the people in the parable, have nothing with which to repay it. We can't come up with anything that could ever make us right. And I don't care if you think you owe $5 or you know that you owe $5 billion. I can tell you which side I'm on. It's not the $5 side. You have nothing with which to repay it. This woman knows that. She's got nothing to lose. She's humbled herself. She's coming here. She's washing his feet. She's crying. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace. He brings that to her. He heals her from her sin. And Jesus asks a question, and Simon has to answer it. And it is a great question. Who loves more, the one who has been forgiven a lot, or the one who's been forgiven a little? Simon is probably like the Pharisee in the parable Jesus 
told us that we read earlier, who thanks God that he's not like other people, like this loser over here, who thinks that he's better, who thinks that he doesn't have a big need for forgiveness because he's so busy looking at this woman and judging her, thinking that he's better than her, cleaner than her, more righteous than her, that he doesn't need Jesus, that he doesn't need forgiveness. But this woman knows exactly who she is. There's no confusion. She knows her own sinfulness. She's not hiding it. She's not confused about it. She's simply seeking the healing of grace and forgiveness from God. And she has sought out Jesus, who is God. And he forgives her sins, which prompts the question of this series from the people sitting at the table. Who is this? Who is Jesus? Who even says that he can forgive sins? Because people can't do that. Right? You come over to me and and say, hey, I uh, stole my neighbor's dog. Right? And I say, I forgive you. It wasn't my dog. Right? If it was a cat, I would say. <laughs> Bless you. I can't forgive you, and if I, if I pretended to, you would think I was crazy. And you'd be right, because I can't forgive you for the things that you've done, that you've done to dishonor God. So the only one who can do that, that's why these people at the table are tripping out. That's why, again, like we talked about last week, people who are saying, oh, Jesus was just this guy, he's just this, you know, maybe he's kind of prophetic, he had some good things to say. No, 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 he's claiming to forgive sins. And how do we know that that's a big deal? Because we see the way that people around him reacted to it. Who does he think he is? Who is Jesus? What about Zacchaeus? What do the people think when Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house? Let's look at Luke 19, 5 through 10. It says, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold, which was the law, right, in in Israel. You steal, you restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost. Why is Jesus here For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. They're complaining, right? Hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. They're complaining like, why? Why would you do that? Why are you going to eat with this sinner, this tax collector? We think he's a traitor. We hate him. We can't stand him. Why would you go with him? All of these people, there were all of these priests who lived in Jericho. Priests. Why would Jesus not go eat with one of them? Why weren't they being shown honor? Why would, you, why would you go with this sinner? And Jesus tells us the answer. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Salvation comes to Zacchaeus, and he responds by making right what he can of his past sins. 
by giving half of his wealth to the poor. That's not something he's doing to earn salvation. It's not salvation's come to this house because you did these things. It's salvation came to this house, and because salvation came to this house, you did these things in response. You love God in response to the love that he's shown for you. He has found the thing, Zacchaeus, that he could not find himself. He could not get himself. He could not pay that debt back. But Jesus gave Zacchaeus grace and forgiveness because he's the only one who could. And Zacchaeus responded by following his Savior. Shortly before the historical events recorded in the story of the woman who was forgiven, one of the things that Jesus said was this, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The courage to act in humility, to seek out Jesus by this woman and these tax, this tax collector, these sinners, these outcasts. No doubt their courage was built up by Jesus who said, come to me, all you who labor, who are heavy laden. There were no modifiers. You notice that? He didn't say, come to me, all you who are perfect and self-righteous. Come to me if you have never missed a church service or Sunday school. Come to me if you've made no mistakes. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. You who are weighed down by your own sin and by the sin of others that has broken you. And he says, I'm gentle. I'm strong. I will give you rest. I will give you the peace that you're looking for. He says to John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. If you'll come, if you'll humble yourself, if you'll come, you're, you're laboring, you're heavy laden. If you'll come, I'm going to give you rest. And I'll tell you what I'm never going to do. I'm never going to push you away. I'm never going to reject you. I don't care what other people say about you. I don't care about the sneers and the gossip and the whispers and you worrying about trying to measure up. I don't care about the past. I have the power to forgive and I will not cast you out if you come to me. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He loves those who are broken, those who need help. He's a friend to those who need healing. He's a friend to those who are humble enough to seek him and realize their sin and its natural consequences and accept his supernatural forgiveness. The sinful woman really was sinful. Okay, Don't, don't get this story wrong. This tax collector really was sinful. The point of what Jesus was doing was not to suggest that their sin was no big deal. He wasn't excusing it like, oh, no thing. Don't worry. Forgive yourself. Everybody's got problems. No, pro-. That's not what he was saying. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. The point was not to say their sin was no big deal. The point was that Jesus was showing that his forgiveness and grace are a bigger deal. That's what he was doing. Do you know when in his life Jesus went to eat with Zacchaeus? He was on his way. His face was set to go to Jerusalem to die 
a horrible death on a cross to rise again for the sins of the world. He was doing something amazing and difficult and glorious, and that was where he was going and what he was doing. It was the biggest thing that will ever, has ever happened in the history of this universe. The entire universe hinges on the things that were going to happen this week, and he was set to go do it. And on his way, he stops for one sinner, one tax collector in Jericho. With all that's going on, the biggest thing that's ever going to happen, with all that he's got to do, and I'm guessing there was a lot on his mind, he loved one sinner enough to stop and go aside and seek to save that which was lost. I mean, what's going on here? The love of Jesus is overwhelming. What about this other tax collector from the story, the parable? Remember where the Pharisees thinking God that he's not like the tax collector? Thinks he's better and he tithes and he fast, blah, 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 blah. What what did the tax collector do in that situation? Listen to this. Luke 18, 13 through 14. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is a friend of sinners. I was once in that place, broken and ashamed. It didn't matter what anybody else thought about me. All of that was dust and ashes. People's opinions of me trying to measure up because what had been revealed to me is is my own sin, my own wickedness. And, And like this woman, I fell on the floor and wept. And Jesus, like he did with this woman, answered me and forgave me and gave me grace. Everything was was stripped away, and it was just me and Jesus, and it was just me recognizing the, the weight of my sin, which was no small thing. And I can't explain to you the pain that was there when I was holding the sin. And I can't explain to you the joy that was there when he took it away. You just have to experience it for yourself. You have to experience what this woman experienced, what this other man, this tax collector experienced. See, these religious people thought they were better. They didn't need forgiveness. They were blind to their own sin. They didn't understand why Jesus is spending all this time with sinners when they're the important ones. But that is who he came to save. All of us have sinned. All of us need Jesus. We have to be like this woman, like the tax collector. We can't be too proud to come to Jesus in humility and in need. We have to say and admit Stop playing games and say, we're weary. We're burdened. We need rest for our souls. Lord, have mercy on us, sinners. I'm not going to try to act like I'm something I'm not. We've got to humble ourselves. And there he is with arms wide open, ready to forgive us, ready to change us, ready to transform us. And we change as a result of his love for us and our love in return for him. If you do not know Jesus, if you have not wept at his feet, he's calling you into relationship with him now. If that's you, and I'm sure that there are people in this room right now 
or who will be listening later who don't know Jesus. Like this woman, like this tax collector, it's time to humble yourself. There are two errors that people make when they reject Jesus. And listen here. Error number one. I don't need Jesus because my sin is not that big of a deal. This is the sin of the Pharisees, refusing to look at themselves. Not introspecting because they're so busy looking at the other people who they call sinners so that they can feel superior. They have a pride, a lack of humility. They're not seeking Jesus because they do not think that there's anything they really need to seek him for. Everyone else is looking at them and saying, oh, you're so great, you keep all the law. They think that they're perfect. So when Jesus comes in, they don't wash his feet. They don't give him a kiss. Sit over there. Let's hear what you have to say, Simon, the Pharisee. That's many people. As a matter of fact, I see people walking around all the time who seem to think that they have nothing that they need to feel bad about, nothing that they need forgiveness for. Don't be that person. You better recognize what's going on in your own heart and what you've done. The other error is my sin is too much. My sin is too much. It's too big. Jesus could never forgive me. That's nonsense. Jesus forgave me. Now, let me just tell you, for those of you who are like, well, you're a pastor. You must be pretty good, right? Like Simon the Pharisee? No. Simon the Pharisee is probably much better than me. If you met some of the people from the past in my life, which, you know, I don't sit here and worry about, but someday somebody's going to come and they're going to be like, yeah, I met some people you went to college with. You know how that happens sometimes. You meet somebody and, and you're like, you know somebody in common. So you're like, oh, yeah, uh, David, yeah, David Robinson, yeah, I know him. And you're like, oh, what's he doing now? And you're like, oh, he's a pastor. And like, oh, he was always a bastard. Oh, you said pastor? Yeah, because I was not a man after God's heart. I was so far from that that I think you probably wouldn't believe it. And yet Jesus saved me. And so for those of you who are out here saying, no, 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 I've done, I've done, I've done. I've ruined relationships. I've destroyed my family. I've got addictions. I've got troubles. Jesus is not smaller than your troubles. He's bigger. He's much, much bigger. Don't fall into these errors. I don't need Jesus, or he wouldn't help me. This woman, this sinner, who was so well-known as a sinner, how many of you were so well-known that you could walk anywhere in the city, and people would look at you and be like, that's the worst sinner around. Anybody in that situation? I don't think so. That's who this woman was, and Jesus saved her. How many of you are hated by everyone? like Zacchaeus, the tax collector. None of you probably, and yet Jesus saved him. And so if you're in that place, you got to let that go. If you've never met Jesus, now is the time. And here's the thing. If you have been a follower of Jesus, but you've ventured back into some darkness, that you've voluntarily put some chains back on, he's calling you back out. And let me just tell you, he's going to drag you back out eventually, but he's calling you back out now. Take his hand. He loves you. So live for him. He knows everything that you need. He knows everything that you've done, and he still loves you. He wants you released from the chains that keep you in darkness, and he wants to put you in a place to walk in the light in peace, to take his yoke, his burden that's easy.
Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.